Big data carries with it the promise of certainty, but in truth, it usually provides a huge amount of information about a narrow field of knowledge. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Series 2 of Silence Police. In this series, we'll be using topics from Rory Sutherland's book, Alchemy, to explore the relationship between creativity and behavioral science and design. A strictly logical approach to problem solving gives the reassuring impression that you are solving a problem, even when no such process is possible. Consequently, the only potential solutions considered are those which have been reached through approved conventional reasoning, often at the expense of better, perhaps cheaper solutions that involve a greater amount of instinct, imagination, or just luck. Remember, if you never do anything differently, you'll reduce your chances of enjoying lucky accidents. I'm Ollie Henderson from Silence Media, and at Silence we have a book club that meets every now and then to discuss books about advertising. Our next book is Alchemy, the surprising power of ideas that don't make sense by Rory Sutherland. If you'd like to join us at book club, I'll give you the details at the end of the podcast. In this episode, we'll be considering whether data is making us less creative. And joining me to discuss this is Account Director at AKA, Catherine Warwick. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. So in this digital age, we have access to more data, uh, an ever-growing number of metrics that are designed to increase the number of things that we can measure. Yet in Alchemy, Rory Sutherland makes the point that one great problem with metrics is that they destroy diversity because they force everyone to pursue the same narrow goal, often in the same narrow way, to make choices using the exact same criteria. So Catherine, would you say that data is making us less creative? Uh, maybe, yes, and no, actually. Um, I think it depends on what you mean by data. Um, I think in advertising, we tend to think of data as a specific data set, like customer data about previous purchases or something like that. Um, and if we only use those kind of data sets on their own to make decisions or to forecast what might happen in the future, we're not actually using all of the data that is there because uh, there are two big things I think that we tend not to consider. One is uh, the um, big data set that is our own experience and our own instinct, which is often uh, put to one side as just your opinion. But you know, when you've had 20 years experience in the world of advertising, that's actually quite a lot of data. And the other thing is um, things we can't predict and things that we don't know. So I'm, I'm asking a question to, to everybody in this series of podcasts about behavioral science and, and whether behavioral science can act as an anchor for create, creative ideas. And, and the reason we're doing, I mean, Rory Sutherland talks about certain benefits of doing that, one of which is that it just gives legitimacy to any ideas that we come up with because we refer to a science and in the eyes of people, that's generally a good thing. But one of the things he talks about is that using behavioral science as a way of generating ideas make, means that we can come up with more oblique, more interesting ideas. And it's this idea that as human beings, we are capable of the irrational. Um, so do you, would you say from that point of view that irrationality is the opposite to following a lead of historical data to make decisions about what to do next? I think that um, irrational behaviour is often um, described as emotional behaviour. 
And I think that um, emotions are illogical because they're based on an oblique data set, which is a person's experience. So, um, for example, you could use data to try to get me to stop doing something by saying that it has an 80% chance of me dying if I continue to do this thing. But actually, that doesn't really work with me or whoever you're advertising to because I or they are the type of person who um, is motivated by emotions and things to do with them. So, in fact, uh, that data is ineffective for me. But you could say um, it will make you feel better about yourself. It will make you feel great if you stop doing that thing. Um, and that would be a direct emotional appeal. So on that point, digital fixation on data mean we lose sight of the importance of emotion in advertising, in creative. Because I've, a consistent theme throughout my conversations with everybody around this podcast is that at, the, at its heart, advertising is about connecting with people on an emotional level. So where does the emotional thing come in with data? And particularly from a media planning point of view, you know, how does that feed into the way you plan a campaign for a client? Yes, I think emotion does come into it. Um, I think there are a number of emotions involved or that could be involved as the way your client might feel about the campaign, really useful data set actually, um, what they want to see, whether that is logical or rational or not, that's certainly an emotion that you need to consider. I think there are some unemotional things about media planning. There are numbers that say this happened in the past and are almost certainly indicators of what will happen again in the future if you do the same thing, replicate the same conditions. But I think there are also one-off situations where you can be smart with a media uh, placement if you make it work really well with the creative that will make somebody laugh or make somebody be afraid. Or um, an example of a campaign I ran for the Natural History Museum, for example, they had a creative on it which was uh, had a uh, an animal that had really big eyes and uh, it lives in the dark. Uh, in fact, the campaign was called Life in the Dark. And uh, so we um, chose some backlit um, uh, sites uh, on under, in underground stations because that's the kind of environment that that animal lives in. And it was cute. Like, it was really cute, but it was, you kind of got it. And you, know, you might say, well, that's a pack of digital six sheets. There's not much emotional about that. But the, when it came together, it did give an emotion, get an, an emotional response, I think. So at the heart of Rory's book is this idea that the irrational can sometimes be the best idea. Arriving at what a rational idea to use, though, of course, can be tricky. Um, I'm interested in this idea that we respond better to some sort of emotional reward. Is there anything that you can give us as an example that kind of illustrates that idea that irrational ideas can sometimes be the most effective? Yeah, there's a really good example, actually, in Rory's book about um, an energy company who decided to um, split test a promotion and they offered a year's free energy to some customers and they offered a free cuddly penguin to some other customers. And their uh, experience, apparently, and their data told them that everyone would go for the year's free energy because that makes sense, right? Totally not. 80% or something more people went for the cuddly toy. And... They couldn't have forecasted that. They couldn't have predicted that if they just looked at the data. But I think if they went, stepped out of the shoes of being a marketer and thought, what, am I, what would I like as a person? Then that common sense really could have told them that people would go for the toy because it's quick. It's a little dopamine hit, isn't it? Oh, it's cute. You know, energy isn't cute. <laughs> yeah. 
And in practice then, put yourself in their shoes and try and present a similar idea to a client. How difficult would that be? You know, trying to coming up and stepping into the client office and saying, look, we've got a strategy for you. We've got two ideas. One, price promotion, sensible. But what about this other one? I'm going to send them a couple to you. Do you think that many, there's many clients who would immediately accept that or would you have to give some sort of rationale for it, a justification for making that sort of probably relatively expensive test? Yeah, I think we uh, as agencies live in the world of always needing to have rationale um, to, to justify an idea. But the good thing is that things like Rory's book exist because he talks about um, irrational ideas and irrational things that have happened in the past so he's now created a data set of irrational stuff that we can refer back to and say to a client okay this sounds completely crazy but here are five examples of completely crazy ideas that worked in the past and if it's good enough for coca-cola if it's good enough for you you know that's a uh you can use the anecdotes i suppose as data to be persuasive to them yeah, and I think actually that does feed into this idea that within behavioral science, there are certain heuristics that can be used, shortcuts essentially, and um, rules of thumb, which we can use to predict human behavior. That's where behavioral biases come into it. And I think, again, you're right. I think with Rory's book, Richard Shotton's book, The Choice Factor as well, does this really well, actually giving some concrete examples of where behavioral biases have been tested and people respond in a predictable way. So you're almost coming up with a rational idea but basing it all in, in, in data. So it's, it's bringing the two together, essentially. You're using data in some way but in, in, and coming up with creative ideas. This brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks to our wonderful guest, Catherine Warwick from AKA. A thank you too to Penguin Random House for providing us with extracts from the Alchemy audiobook. Our music is by Super Thriller. If you'd like to join us to discuss alchemy, we're meeting on the afternoon of Thursday the 3rd of October at the Pemby Tavern in Hackney. Visit the Silence Media website for more details. And don't forget the first rule of book club, you don't have to read the book. In our next episode, we'll be discussing whether we value logic over creativity. Goodbye.